Welcome to the latest edition of New Project Media's Interconnections podcast. I'm East Coast reporter Colt Shaw. With study delays accumulating in NISO's interconnection queue, ambitious state policy goals like NYSERDA's aim to have 6 gigawatts of battery storage by 2030 only add to the need for queue reform. Patrick Verdonk, founder and CEO of Verdonk Partners, joined Interconnections to discuss the trends that led us to this moment, how developers are adjusting, and how these trends are likely to play out moving forward. All right, Patrick, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, I reported uh, last spring on some study delays accumulating in NISO's interconnection queue uh, after seeing a filing uh, that the grid operator made with FERC. And following that, a developer source active in the state said that the issue went beyond just the rise of interconnection requests that come with the uh, renewable transition and was impacted instead by staffing issues, data portal issues, uh, that sort of thing. Um, And so that filing basically said in the first quarter of 2022, NISO had completed one feasibility study that went over its applicable study time and had, by the close of the quarter, six ongoing feasibility studies uh, over their applicable study times. Uh, So before we jump into any of the more uh, recent headlines, I kind of wanted to get a sense uh, from you of just how normal or abnormal this is at this point in time. Obviously, the issue is more advanced uh, just to the south in Mid-Atlantic's PJM serious queue reforms and a pause for new requests is now in place. But are we seeing uh, similar log jams around the country at this point? Hi, absolutely. So we're seeing backlogs and interconnection processes across the country, really spanning from the Northeast with New York ISO being one of those jurisdictions down through PJM, MISO, and of course into California where they're currently running the super cluster. Basically they skipped one year of interconnection queue of uh, one year of the interconnection queue process. Um, specifically on PJM, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, information about that in the press. I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but in New York ISO, there's been some pretty meaningful delays. You now, separate from my advisory work, I'm also developing a few projects for projects that are in the queue, and we're seeing massive delays. And so you mentioned a few reasons why those uh, exist. There's shortages of staffing. There's some issues around the, the interface and, and the, the portal through which you can apply. I'd say more broadly, there's just an issue of too many projects in the queue. You know, these are our projects that are looking to help the state meet its renewable and its storage goals. And the New York ISO does not seem to have the appropriate bandwidth and resources to, to accommodate all those requests. Um, I'll note that one thing is when, when people talk about projects being completed within the expected timeframe, that the timeframes themselves are somewhat ambiguous in the sense that the United ISO has a certain amount of time to complete studies, but doesn't necessarily have a prescripted amount of time between the study phases. And so while a lot of studies are being completed within the study phase timeframes that are mandated by FERC, it's taking a long time to get the studies started. So effectively processes that should take 180 days are taking more than 400 days. And certainly we're, we're one of many developers that is uh, that, that are you know, frustrated with, with the duration of these projects. I, I'm, I'm sure folks at the New York ISO are equally frustrated themselves with the delays. Uh, th- that being said, a solution needs to be found because otherwise the state's not going to meet its renewable targets. Yeah, well, obviously, speaking of solutions, uh, in early December, um, we had reported on some of the interconnection process improvements, uh, quote, that NISO is undertaking. Uh, the ISO is looking to uh, adding support staff, uh, reducing redundancy in studies uh, or between study phases, uh, creating study report templates, and also considering improvements, obviously larger improvements like, quote, queue window-based uh, approach with a more efficient multi uh, or binding multi-phase study structure, um, obviously, as opposed to a sort of serial come as you, you know, uh, you know, the 
serial-based uh, approach. Uh, so uh, beyond like continued consideration, there's nothing uh, definitive uh, in what they released in their uh, just sort of a brief report. Um, and then they said they were awaiting the results of FERC's uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. Sure. Um, which is obviously still ongoing. Um, yeah. Leaving so we aside, welcome any type of reform. And we think mm-hmm. moving to a, a more class-based approach, I guess they already have a class year, but but in general, having more of a clustered approach would be positive. That, that being said, you know, it's clear from California that even a cluster-based approach is not a panacea. It, there's really a need for resources, you know, you know, number of engineers that can be allocated to projects, the ability to run the studies. So yes, there are sort of format changes that need to happen. There's also, I think, just a resource issue that needs to be addressed. And my understanding is that NISO is recruiting actively uh, to hire more staff members to find the appropriate or people with appropriate backgrounds. It's just all taking a little bit longer than I think everybody, including the ISL, I'm sure, uh, is hoping. Yeah, and that, that was sort of my next question. Is that just a, is this just a natural outgrowth of the renewable transition? More projects, less uh, capacity than say, you know, a bunch of 1.5 gigawatt, you know, nat gas yeah. plants. Absolutely. Look, if you think about it, right, we are experiencing record volumes in terms of interconnection applications. My firm did some studies about that recently, and we've really just seen a skyrocketing number of projects being put onto the grid. Interestingly enough, because renewable projects have a lower capacity factor, you know, you're going to have to fit many more new megawatts, and the megawatts ultimately would drive the capacity that's needed for the grid. It's it's a megawatt uh, constraint, not a megawatt hour constraint. Uh, and so you basically have a lot more projects because there's a turnover in our generation park. And those projects are are more voluminous and more megawatts because they have lower capacity factors. And there's a lot more of them too, right? The average size of a solar project is much smaller than that of a natural gas fired power plant. And, and of course, much, much smaller than a coal plant. So in order to get the same amount of energy on the grid, you need many more megawatts and many more projects. The combined effect of all that is that you would need to study a lot more projects than you would have in the past. Yeah. Well, so just a couple of weeks after uh, this sort of uh, news of them looking into certain uh, improvements, uh, NYSERDA released their roadmap uh, to how they plan to reach six gigawatts of battery storage uh, in the state by 2030. What was your sort of initial reaction to that? And what does that, you know, additional six gigawatts, uh, I guess not full gigawatts, mean for these reform uh, reforms? Look, we're, we're always excited about seeing growth in targets. And we, as you know, wearing my development hat for a second, always like to, to see the goalposts being moved, you know, up forward in, in a way, if you will, in terms of getting uh, incentivizing spring new development. That being said, you know, we're so focused on our projects today that we're really not overly worried about the, the bigger picture here. You know, we recognize that through a lot of our advisory work that this could be an incentive for more projects coming to the state and more developers being attracted to the state. But at the same time, look, I think a lot of developers are really more worried about, you know, what's the problem in front of them and trying to you know, dig out from under the, the delays that they're currently facing. And the big picture stuff is great and is necessary. But I think on the ground, people are just trying to move their projects forward, both on the permitting and the interconnection side. Yeah. Well, I mean, sort of, uh, I guess, looking a, a little bit further ahead, but, you know, the storage isn't the only ambitious goal in New York. There's obviously uh, wind, solar, community solar goals um, being put in place. Do, do you see there being a chance uh, as the decade goes on that the state shifts its timelines back um, to accommodate uh, some of these delays or? Yeah, it's a great question. Um you know, the interesting thing about renewable goals is that, if anything, the timelines have been moved forward or, or closer mm-hmm. to, to today. Uh, California's a good example of that. Over the years, they've actually 
increase the renewable quantum and they've actually accelerated the timelines in which to achieve them. Look, it's it's not inconceivable that some of these targets are moved back just as it you know as, as it proves to be difficult to build this capacity. I would say that that's probably more of a reaction against delays on the ground as opposed to a policy choice. Obviously, no policymaker wants to abandon order for goals. Um, you know, again, we're not really overly worried about that. I think what we just want to make sure is that we can actually move forward with the projects that we have and, and other developers who are advising you know, feel the same way. It's more like, look, we, we want to build these things. Let's let's create the environment which we can. And the big picture statements are great, but it's more about what can we do in the next 12 to 24 months. Gotcha. Do, do you see just uh, staffing up as the, as the main the main change that needs to take place? A lot of these ISOs, just more people on these uh, these studies and these uh, analyses? Well, there's a couple of things, right? When it comes to the, the ability to process, evaluate, uh, and, and study these projects, then yeah, staffing is truly, you know, the, the, the big the big issue here. You know, obviously there's different types of processes. There's the clustered approach versus the serial approach. And I think that once PGM moves to a serial approach and many other ISOs have already done that in part or already uh, completely, I think we're going to have, you know, from a structural point of view, some pretty good, you know, a, a good roadmap to, to, to finishing up or, or trying to work away the backlog. So staffing will help, restructuring the process will help. Then of course, there's a bigger issue, which is who pays for the upgrades, which is kind of beyond the study scope. It is more about, you know, the, the actual funding of the upgrades and the allocation of costs between various projects on the one hand and the grid and the rate payers. On the other hand, that's kind of a, a separate topic, but I think that's also an important topic when it comes to reforming the grid is not just how long does it take to study to get on the grid, but also who pays for these upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so yesterday I wrote about uh, AES's uh, McCracken County Solar Project. Uh, they voluntarily surrendered their conditional use permit and terminated their PPA with an electric co-op there in Kentucky uh, because their study cycle in MISO uh, had been delayed for so long. Um, right. How, I guess, if at all, have you seen developers altering their behavior approach uh, to projects in the last couple of years or the last year, really, um, as these QJAMs have become more apparent? Yeah, look, I think everybody's trying to dial back what they can in terms of expense on the mm -hmm. development side, uh, if they need to, uh, to be able to keep their queue positions. You know, as a developer, your heart always bleeds if you have to let go of anything that you've spent a lot of time on. And certainly if you have an advanced queue position, you're going to do whatever you can to keep it alive. We've had, you know, we've seen developers renegotiate contracts to defer start dates, which is often accompanied by price declines or other measures that provide some relief to the buyer power. Um, but just in general, I think everybody's just trying to hold on to what they've got as best they can and then not do that, you know, not not go to the measures that AES unfortunately had to do in the situation, which is to kind of hand back their permits and, and abandon the project. Um, again, again, I'm sure they did it with a, with a, you know, a lot of uh, uh, not, not happy to do that. But I think as best we can, you know, the development community is just trying to, to hang on to projects. Hmm. Uh, another thing uh, in uh, sort of NISO's just sort of tentative overview of what they're considering, basically, you know, it's just sort of a, a checklist of things that are, uh, you know, weighing, basically. But one of them was, I guess, making these different steps along the study process uh, more binding. Do, do you think that's yep. been a, a, a major contributor uh, to some of these delays, just people just getting in line, just to, you know, just get in line and be there uh, should the time come to... Or should the uh, opportunity come to actually propose a project? Yeah, that, that's true. There's certainly folks out there, you know, there's not a huge barrier to entry, certainly not a PGM in New York to get into the queue. Look, I, I'm somewhat sympathetic to this idea that there's too many projects out there and too many of them are speculative. That, that said, you know, the, the role of the grid operators to find a way to accommodate the requests that people put in, and it's very hard to distinguish between a serious request and, a, and, and perhaps one that's more speculative. 
that's why you also have different levels of, of review, right? Feasibility study, system impact study, and then facility study. So I, I'm a little hesitant to dismiss simply these requests, right? Because at the end of the day, I think most developers, you know, do rec you know have to spend some money to get into the queue, and and they probably do want to develop these projects. They recognize that it's you know there's a, a chance that they won't get their permits, they won't get an offtake, they won't get their interconnection at the cost that they want. And so I, I'm I'm just careful, I'd like to be careful to simply dismiss projects as being speculative. I think most developers are pretty serious about what they want to do and are looking to genuinely build the project if they can get all the pieces of the puzzle together. Hmm. Well, you also mentioned um, the, uh, uh, you know, who, who's paying for these upgrades and that, that becomes an issue. Uh, obviously, there was a report out um, in the last couple of weeks from the Lawrence Berkeley Lab uh, regarding just the kind of skyrocketing uh, uh, interconnection costs in PJM specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, is that, uh, I guess, as we're waiting for FERC's uh, NOPR to actually, you know, for anything to be released on that front, um, do you uh, do you see that? Uh, I guess I guess there's I guess that would be a, a broad uptake thing. There would be they'd be compelled to to follow uh, FERC's order on that. But um, I guess how much of a, a um, how much of an effect do you see that having on on some of these bottlenecks? And yeah, so look, if if you move to a a socialized system where the costs of the upgrade are borne by the ratepayers, which is actually what you have right now at the transmission level in Hercot, uh, you're certainly going to incentivize more developers to get into the queue, and and ultimately, you know, more projects are going to be economic because the the grid pays for the upgrades as opposed to the developers. You know, I think, you know, it. But I can see merit in both sides of the argument. Right. If you're a developer, why would, and you want to build a project in a certain location, then then and it causes upgrades, then why should society pay for that? You should have picked a better spot with fewer upgrades, right? Because you you know if you don't bear the consequences of choosing a spot in a congested area, then 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 what what incentive do you have to choose the best possible location? On the other hand, people say, well, look, no, these renewables provide clean electricity to the grid. That's a societal benefit. We all benefit from having these wind and solar projects come online and it's undue to burden the projects themselves with the economics of causing the upgrade. So I think there's some valid arguments on, on both sides of the of the ledger here. Um, I mean, we'll see where FERC comes out with some of these uh, with some of these rules. And you know, in California, sometimes part of the costs are shared, sometimes are allocated back to the developer. Maybe a sharing mechanism is one way to kind of balance these competing, in both cases, legitimate interests. But I'd be curious to see how they're implemented uh, at FERC, because I, I, as the queue gets more congested and as it takes longer and becomes harder to connect projects to the grid, I, I do think the benefit or the, the argument that society as a whole benefits from it and it should be paid not just by the project, but also to some extent by the ratepayers is increasingly holding water, right? Because look, if, if, if it was obvious that there were spots that were great places to connect and places that were terrible to connect and the developers had some insight into that, I would say, okay, fine, developers need to wear the cost. But as it becomes harder and harder to cite, as it also becomes frankly less and less apparent where you can connect more cheaply and exactly what is causing which upgrades at that point you could argue well maybe maybe it is something that needs to be addressed at the at the grid level and something where ratepayers need to participate as well gotcha well so uh, is there uh, any merit to i guess that that we're in just sort of a awkward transition phase and as we have more renewables join the grid and that joint you know we have a majority renewables grid uh, that this uh, you know the queue becomes a, a i guess a more simplified and uh, i guess less crowded space you know towards the end of the decade as we start you know accomplishing some of these goals or is this uh, I guess just a consequence of you know this is as long as we have a renewable heavy uh, grid, this is likely to um, you know these problems are likely to arise time and again. Yeah, we'll probably find a new equilibrium, 
and right well the, the grids will be in you know, the grid processes will be streamlined they'll hire more folks and we'll come up with a system that is able to kind of handle the ongoing application of new projects into the grid so i think that we'll certainly have a better balance uh, over time but but i do think it's new normal right distributed generation means more projects um smaller projects closer to load mean you know more studies that need to be completed. So I do think we are going to be looking towards a, a, a new steady state of a grid that's going to be, you know, fed by a lot of small projects that all need to be studied. And so when we're going to kind of get to the new normal, I don't know. It'll probably take a couple of years, but but just by virtue of moving away from a system dominated by a few big generators, the means interconnection process is just going to become more of an ongoing process that's always going to be a little bit more complicated and take longer than it used to. And and you sort of, I guess, answered this uh, over uh, your past couple of uh, answers, but I guess, do you, uh, you know, as these, I guess, uh, interconnection costs rise, uh, obviously are passed on to the PPA, do you see, uh, I guess, overall, if you, you know, zoom out uh, less investment in big uh, development companies, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, big M&A and stuff over the last couple of years. Yeah. Do you see that slowing down? Uh, as, as No, the- I think that there's still a lot of capital looking for projects and, and and developers that have good projects. And there's still a lot of developers out there looking to raise money. Um, so I don't see any slowdown and we're not seeing any slowdown on our advisory business in terms of both developers seeking capital as well as investors looking to invest capital, either at the project portfolio or, or development company levels. So look, as long as energy transition is ongoing and as long as we're looking to build a lot of solar, wind, and storage, as well as hydrogen and RNG. There's going to be a fair amount, if not a lot of capital activity surrounding these developers and the projects they're going to be putting online. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, speaking of, we, we touched on uh, the NOPA earlier, but um, uh, have you heard any movement on that? I believe they were shooting to release something by the end of 2022. I was wondering uh, if you've heard anything on no, that, not, sort of how you see that playing no, out. Not, not, not followed it that closely, so I'm not aware of anything that recently happened. Gotcha. All right. Um, I think that should be a good place to leave it. I'm sure we'll be uh, in touch as this, uh, you know, continues and as NISO actually makes some more uh, concrete changes. But um, yeah, I really appreciate you uh, taking, you know, taking some time out of your afternoon to chat. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. It was great being on. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks. Bye-bye.